Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Jen Bailey. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Winderlich podcast. Welcome to episode 10 for season 9. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 16th of July, 2019, for broadcast on the 21st of August, 2019. This episode is sponsored by Triple Byte. That's B-Y-T-E, Byte. I am Jen Bailey, here with my Wizard of Code Season 9 co-host, Drew Freeman. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. This is because I used FaceApp to make myself look really old and I look like Dumbledore. Thanks, Jen. On this episode, we have back on the show from Season 7, Mark Dalrymple. Mark Dalrymple is still a longtime Unix and Mac programmer with over 25 years of professional experience. He's the principal author on Learn Objective-C on the Macintosh and Advanced Mac OS X Programming, the Big Nerd Ranch Guide. He's also one of the co-founders of Cocoa Heads, an international Mac and iOS programming community. He's currently working for the Big Nerd Ranch and is co-creator of Music Jot, a music notation software for the iPad. In this episode, Mark will discuss Combine. Then the second half, Drew will talk about Agile for one, spending four and a half years developing software by himself. Mark, welcome. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, it's good to see you again, Mark. We uh, didn't get in too much trouble last time with our uh, with our geek off for Christmas, but definitely good to have you back on the show. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if I needed to go grab uh, Inside Macintosh or not this time. <laughs> it's always good to have you on the show. And today we're going to be talking about Combine. Combine. Yeah, so it's uh, with a big breakout technologies from WWDC this year, you know, the whole blowing people's minds. Mm -hmm. So you may realize that Apple's CarPlay was an absolute surprise success. You can find CarPlay in all sorts of vehicles, Hondas, VWs, etc. And because it's become so immensely popular, Apple's decided to adopt the same technology into the farming industry. So they introduced Combine, the ultimate in farm equipment interactive technology. Uh, of course, from what I hear, uh, developing for a combine is kind of expensive because the simulator spans four screens. You need extra made for combine hardware. And it, Mark. Uh, and USB-C, yeah. Mark, combine, uh, a threshing machine for the for tractors. Uh, yes, yes. No, 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 no. The, the did you make WDC? Uh, no, I couldn't get a magic ticket this year. All right, because the technology is, is not combine, it's combined. No. Okay, so uh, Apple introduced Combine this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was a setup. Yes, it's a setup. Um, I did this for um, my Cocoa Heads uh, presentation last week, and it went over about as well as that did as, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about Combine. So, so Combine is is the proper way, and it's probably the most interesting thing to me that's happened at this year's WWDC for me, even over Swift UI. Because uh, I kind of like the under like plumbing, underwear, things below UI kit. Um, but what Combine is, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big framework. So Combine is, is a great big framework for processing data as it changes over time. So your standard functional programming, things like uh, filter and map and reduce and those things, can work over essentially a cluster of data that you have at hand. Combine lets you set up pipelines that you can run data through over time. So you can have a network request come in, uh, you can have a chunk of code examine the uh, HTTP result code. You can then take the data and decode it into a, uh, a struct by using codable. Then you can pass that on to something else that could pull out, say, a, a title, a uh, user's title, and put it in a user interface. 
and then somebody else in the pipeline can pick out another piece of data like their shoe size and generate shoes for them, uh, for instance. It really just came down to three parts, right? The subscriber, <laughs> a publisher, and operator. And they're really, really small from what I've seen. Yeah, looking at the, uh, particularly the uh, combine in practice WWDC session is he builds up, the presenter builds up a fairly sophisticated pull something from the internet and do a whole bunch of stuff with it uh, incrementally. And so by using a subscriber that, for instance, gets something from a web service, then the subscriber can pass its data onto an operator that can do stuff with it, um, which eventually ends up with a subscriber. So even not even so not even considering operators, you can have publishers and subscribers. Publishers provides data and a subscriber consumes data. And then an operator is basically a subscriber and a publisher end to end. Kind of like the push me pull you from a, a Dr. Doolittle. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, Combine takes advantage of uh, Swift's type safety uh, so that you can only connect subscribers and consumers so long as two types uh, correspond. A publisher has a particular type of data that it outputs, like a string or a particular structure, and a consumer has a particular type of data that can consume. Those have to match. And then there's a second channel for um, basically error messages. There's a failure type for, I'm a subscriber and I could fail in a number of ways, like no internet connection at all. So an error can go out of the publisher and then be handled by the subscriber. And also a publisher can say that I have no error channel. My error type is uh, never. void. Never. I want to think void, no, but it's never. Um, saying it's like, hey, you can assume that no errors will happen from me, uh, which can be good and can be uh, inconvenient. This allows you to pretty much make whatever kind of error modeling system you want as long as your two ends are compatible to deal with that. That's right. And if they're not compatible, then you can make your own operator that could pass through the data and transform the error into a type you want. So operators are basically in the middle transformers that'll transform those types if they don't match up. Yes, they are robots in the skies. <laughs> <laughs> Caught me off guard. <laughs> Sweet. I can almost never do that. <laughs> so since it's kind of in the form of a stream, um, can you set a breakpoint with that when you're troubleshooting it? Um, yeah, because in the actual code... Uh, you can set things up as kind of a declarative pipeline. So uh, URL session gets something and then dot map to transform the data, then dot decode and supply a closure to pull things out. So you can set breakpoints in there. And then there's also a uh, breakpoint operator. So you can actually stick an operator in your pipeline which is a breakpoint, which will trigger the debugger if one's running. Oh, cool. Now, they also uh, have a, a do-catch operator. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So for things like, um, like there's operators like a filter, which can take incoming data and only emit a subset of it. If something throws inside of that, it will kill the pipeline. But you could do a try filter, in which case it will wrap the thing in a try block and emit a failure rather than killing the pipeline. One of the things that's been interesting this year in WWDC has been a lot of talking about these specific technologies, but almost talking about them in a box where we first, we've 
really focus on combines technologies, but not necessarily how to use that with, say, a Swift UI or how to use it with core data or any of those other technologies. Have you come across anything along those lines? Uh, yeah, that's been a kind of common uh, comment by folks on Slack and at the last Cocoa Heads is that some of the sample code which combines them, uh-huh, um, combines, combine, and Swift UI, that's going to be an annoying name, I think, going down the line. Uh, we need to combine, combine stuff with stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there's sample code which shows hooking up combined with Swift UI uh, in a meaningful way has not come out yet. So it does seem like there was a little bit of like, siloing, or maybe they were so like focused on we need to ship this by WWDC time that some of the touch points haven't gotten the love that they need. I kind of got the feeling that they've also kind of been waiting for the stuff to, to release it um, because there's been no uh, ABI stability until, until recently. Right. It was so, the ABI stability in 5.0 and then the ABI modules in 5.1. And that basically means until then, you can't ship your own frameworks without building it all into the OS. Yeah, but I know they've been working on these things a long time. Uh, I don't know if it's trustworthy, but I saw a, a tweet that they've been working on this stuff like even before they were Swift. <laughs> wow. When is it appropriate to use Combine? Like for which projects? Is everyone going to move to this? Or um, Well, in typical Apple fashion, you can only use the new toys on the latest and greatest operating system. So you can't use Apple's Combine and ship it on iOS 12. So if you wanted to ship an app before September, is that when it usually comes out? Mm -hmm. um, then you're, you're out of luck. If you want to support older users, then you'll need to implement things twice, one using com Combine, once using some other more traditional existing mechanism. Or you can get, uh, you know, if you're really into that pattern, there's the uh, various React toolkits that you can get. So you can do very similar things uh, with those things and ship them on all the iOS platforms. Have you had a chance to take a look under the hood to see what actually puts together these things, like the publisher or the subscriber? Um, Yes, actually, the first combined session, uh, I really like the approach they took is that they showed the protocols, the showed the publisher protocol, the subscriber protocol, and also the state machine of I have a publisher, I have a subscriber, I connect them. The subscriber tells the publisher, hey, I'm here. The publisher says, okay, groovy, you're here. And then it can start sending it data. And then they show kind of the awkward way of hooking things up. And then but we have these really cool generic function wrappers, which give us that dot map, dot breakpoint, dot filter, really nice syntax. So that first session breaks down uh, kind of the more complex things. Um, if you build a pipeline um, and you use Xcode's uh, option click to show the signature, they get pretty crazy. Uh, generics nested inside of generics, nested inside of generics. Uh, enough so that they've provided a number of type erasure uh, operators so that if you publish your own publishers, you don't have to expose all those details of, I have this seven-stage pipeline. It just says, hey, I'm any publisher, any subscriber that takes these types. Now, you said that they're basically protocols underneath the hood. So effectively, much like layers in macOS's app kit, they've been able to back this into pretty much all of the rest of the frameworks? Um, yes, I think that's the plan. They do currently have, I think, three 
three touch points in the frameworks, uh, one for timers, one for notification center, and one for URL session. And that other frameworks like that um, new virtual reality kit, the, the reality kit, um, I think that also has uh, combined hooks, publishers and subscribers in it. And of course, Swift UI. So effectively, then you can piecemeal it one step at a time using a timer and converting that into combine, using a notification and converting that into combine. But I think I remember you telling me that the notification center is not exactly that cleanly adopted. Uh, yes, be mainly because the notification center has deep Objective-C roots, so it's very loosey-goosey in terms of type safety. Kind of the unit of currency for notifications is an info dictionary, which you can stick any keys and any values inside of that. Mm -hmm. So on the Swift side, you have to be careful about what you get out. So it's like getting something from like user defaults. You have to be a little bit careful of the types you get out, making sure that it is the correct type. Otherwise, um, you know, mayhem, mayhem ensues. Ha uh, user infos are what hashable colon any? Yes. Which is pretty much like cutting the net out from underneath you anyway. Right. So doing runtime type checks. Um, uh, Casey Liss has a blog post on kind of like, why that's not his favorite pattern in combine. We'll of course add that along with everything else to the show notes. Now, now I, I remember chatting with you offline and you had mentioned that you, you saw some of the list of operators and, and you took on a project of your own. <laughs> um, well, it was mainly just to kind of uh, collect operators kind of like for a talk I did on Swift attributes is I just wanted to find out what all of them were with Swift attributes. I could, Spelunk the compiler source code with operators. That's a little bit harder. So I've got a list. Probably I can't count it right now, um, but uh, several dozen uh, operators. With some of them have really cool names like debounce and concatenate, um, drop until output, prefix while multicast. There's zip, uh, try scan, throttle, sync. So all sorts of kind of cool toys to play with. Now, there's also a couple of, um, now I don't remember if they're the actual subscribers or if they're operators, but there's things such as Just. <laughs> yeah, Just is a, uh, is a publisher. It's a way of injecting a particular value. So you could start a pipeline with Just 5. And this thing is just a 5. I'm just going to inject this int into the next subscriber and there's a there's a subscriber that's very similar that just takes anything and outputs it sync so you can have a just sync and that is the simplest subscriber publisher that you could have that's right that's pretty much i can't think of anything more uh, anything less complex than here is a hard-coded value Hey, here is something that takes that value and runs a closure. So I guess that's a good way to also test operators is that you can just simply start with things like just array and, and then see how the different uh, steps along the way work. Yes. And for unit testing also. So if you want to inject a particular value to start off a pipeline. So if you just wanted to test the guts of the pipeline without the, um, all the networking stuff, instead of mocking out the network or coming up with some kind of uh, you know, replacement, you could have like the network pipeline or the ne network publisher, which is you know, testable on its own. You could have the processing uh, operators, and then you could do a just into the top of that and unit test just the processing um, without having to pull in 
network. Oh, wow. Now, if I remember the publisher themselves, I think there was something to the effect of they can have one, they can have a few, or they can have infinite. Right. So a publisher can deliver zero or more items. And so the publisher will also tell its subscribers when it has stopped, uh, basically when it shuts down. So you could have a publisher that only emits one item, so it can emit one item and then say, okay, I'm done, uh, call it, calls a completion, and then, then you can wrap up. Uh, or it can send as many, like it could be essentially infinite, like the notification, could be infinite, like the notification center, because those could keep on bubbling through for the entire life of the application. And sometimes, no, nothing will show up. There could be, um, no, you do a network something, can't think of a good example right now, but a, or maybe a timer that you forgot to start or a timer that goes off in an hour and your runtime was half an hour. So it's possible for a publisher to actually never actually do anything because the conditions don't, don't happen. Now, since it's publishers and there's uh, the possibility of things coming through, I'm assuming they're also cancelable. Yes. So they, uh, Apple gave themselves a little bit of weasel words. They say it's a best effort cancel cancellation because in general, cancellation, at least general cancellation, like uh, thread cancellation, is really, really hard to do cleanly. Um, if you set up the pipelines well, so, so there's not a whole lot of kind of like leftover state that you, know, you have to hide a value under a rock somewhere and pick it up later. If you don't clean up that stuff when you get torn down, you got memory leaks and you get race conditions and all sorts of, of, of terrible things can happen. But built into the protocols is a... Um, a, a cancelable. So they actually now have a cancelable uh, protocol that its only <laughs> method is cancel. And so anything <laughs> anything that adopts that, you can go and call cancel on it. And I'm assuming that every, all of Apple's operators have a, at least some semblance of cancelability for them. So you can cancel the first, the kind of the, the last subscriber, kind of the one that you, you have in your hands, and then it'll kind of just uh, back up. It'll kind of cancel the uh, I'm canceling my publisher, and if it's an operator, that operator will go, I'm canceling my publisher. Oh, yeah, I'm going to cancel my publisher all the way up to the top. Is it a one-to-one -one on the, the, the um, publisher-subscriber, or can there be multiple subscribers? Um, I want to think it's one-to-one -one with the protocols, but there is there are things like, um, oh, uh, like multicast, I think, is one of them, where you could hook up multiple subscribers. So essentially it's kind of like a, a mux demux. So you could have a single stream of stuff and then it goes into a splitter and then it splits it off into multiple pipelines. Um, and pipeline is a, is a great mental model that I'm using for this. I actually picked that up from a nice article from Joseph Heck um, calling these combined uh, publisher subscriber operator things pipelines, kind of after the old Linux pipeline. But you can have this pipeline that goes essentially into a splitter, and each of the things that's being split can be its own pipeline. And then there's uh, a couple of, uh, basically, Combinator is, has other implications, but the same kind of thing. It's a way of combining multiple streams into one, essentially, rendezvous points, which is nice for user interface stuff. So um, SwiftUI had, uh, one of the sessions had, had a SwiftUI where there were multiple essentially paths feeding into one multi-headed operator 
And only when everything coming into that had a true value did it actually uh, enable the login button. Yeah, I jumped up and down in the in the puddle of Swift UI, and I got my cuffs kind of wet. I, I I tried taking some of the UI of my app and seeing if I could spin it up in the new magical UI system, and that that was a bit much. But I think I'm going to save that for the second half because. Coming up next, I'm going to talk about what it's like to spend four and a half years solo as a developer, trying to treat myself as a team, uh, is sort of call it Agile for One. And we'll do that right after a message from our sponsors, Triple Byte. We'll be back in a few. The RayWenderlich.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. This RayWenderlich.com podcast is brought to you by Triple Byte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, You spend hours and hours on phone screens, take-home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your interest or your cover letters. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies, from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you get to go straight to the final interviews with the companies on their platform. It's like the common app for software engineers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. And I can appreciate that. Being in the industry for 35 years, I'm entirely self-taught. My undergraduate study was in theater, and I left school to do my first job. So I don't carry a bachelor's, no bachelor's of arts, no bachelor's of science. And that's the one thing I'm often trying to hide or misdirect on my resume. With TripleByte, they care more about the coding experience that I have and not worry about that one little fact. Apply now at triplebyte.com slash ray that's triplebyte.com byte b-y-t-e as in eight bits as a special offer for listeners of this show if you take a job through triplebyte they'll offer you a thousand dollar signing bonus thanks once again to our sponsor triplebyte that's byte b-y-t-e and now we're back for our second half where Drew is going to tell us about his experience as a one-man Agile team. Yeah, I this, this app finally got released about a week ago, and it was about four and a half years from the day I put down the first line of code. And I, I have to, to preface this with the fact that this was my first major app on an app store for myself. I have been in the industry for years and years, and I have been part of many published pieces of software. I worked on Office. I've worked at the Norton folks. So I've published software. I've usually been the go-to guy to make sure the software gets published and gets pushed out to the store. But about four and a half years ago, I took on a project and I wasn't even taking on a project. It was how I decided to teach myself Swift. So, of course, that means that some of the code, well, let's just skip over what some of the code looks like. I I recently was looking at it and I found semicolons. And for those of you who understand Swift, you can understand exactly how out of place that went. Initially, it was just trying to complete a couple of little projects altogether, one of which was I wanted to make a complication for the watch. I wanted to have something that could get the time of day when you went to the watch. Now, that sounds kind of bizarre because you figure, well, that's what the watch does. But I wanted to be able to tell you where the sun and the moon were 
in the sky as uh, you know the sun is currently in where is the sun currently i think it's currently in cancer you know for those of you who are at home going oh my god i'm a libra but it's <laughs> it's different so i wanted something that you'd be able to look at the watch and see where is the sun and the moon and click on your watch and make a journal entry i'm proud to report after four and a half years you can't click on the watch and make a journal entry that part has still not been finished but what happened was I wound up figuring I needed a whole bunch of other features that fit into some work that I did, and I built a utility that had roughly six sections. Now, it's easy to look back on it and say it now as I built a utility that has six sections, but I discovered that you need discipline to write an app for yourself. And I used a lot of the experience from working with major teams at many companies or many teams at major companies and a couple of minor companies. And I started using a lot of the agile practices, which sounds really bizarre because I was an agile team of one. Yeah. How did that work? (laughs) Initially, very badly. Agile really has a couple of requirements that I just had to wave off right off the bat, which was the stand-ups. Though I found up later on that it made sense for me to actually do what I refer to as a daily sanity check saying, okay, where am I? What am I doing? What stage am I in? I started doing two to four week sprints. And the reason the number of weeks would separate would depend on, well, my real world. You know, if I'm working for a company, I can't necessarily dedicate two weeks of work. I would have to say, well, I'm going to get two weeks of work done over four weeks. Or in the case of when we got close I like using we because it makes me feel like there was a team behind me. It's the voices in your head. It's like the royal we. It's you and the cat. The royal we and the the royal we and the royal voices in the head. We don't talk about them very much. (laughs) Sometimes the voices in the head made me say, I'm not going to have a 12 week sprint go away. (laughs) And I'll admit this app did get put down for about a year at one point. But it's um, it's a free app. It has in-app purchases, and I'm pleased to say that after five days, I've had just about every one of the in-app purchases bought, so that's a good sign. Um, That makes me happy. I've I've gotten a good number of units uh, out there. But I want to get back to the idea of, of sprints by myself, because the idea really came down to if I could break things down into stories and epics and tasks and say, okay, these are my 1.0 UX epic stories and tasks, or these are my build process things. And I actually have a series of about 14 issues per sprint that are build only. They're things like open the sprint, now schedule the sprint, schedule the next sprint, do the uh, do a branch on the main develop so that I have a branch for this build. And those things keep me effectively being able to put on a PM hat while I'm being a developer. They make me stay focused to say, well, I need to have time to do these other things. I need to make sure that I'm unit testing sufficiently for where I'm putting in code. And all these practices that as a sole developer, we tend to miss Because it's like, well, I'm just going to focus on the code. If I focus on the code, that's fine. And I get through that piece of code. Then I move on to the next piece of code. You're missing things like essential documentation. You're missing things like tracking what you've changed and done. Because on the App Store, let me tell you, I despise it when the new update of 
a large video viewing app or a large social networking face-like app say, we update this app every two weeks. It's like, that's great. What did you fix? Are my bugs fixed? Because as we often say, a new version has come out and that means there are new bugs to match the old bugs they didn't fix. So you've so it sounds like you've got some kind of tool where you've got your stories laid out and you do them week to week. Uh, what tool do you use? I am using Jira. I, I have become a slave to Atlassian. I am 100% Atlassian's doormat because I use Jira. I actually have a flow and swim lanes. I, I, I will move issues from open to in process to finished to closed specifically so that I can track them. And with Atlassian's Jira, I can also mark revisions. So I have build 63 or build 65 and I can say, okay, so what issues were attached to build 65? And that way, when I'm talking to developers or I'm talking to testers or I'm posting things onto the app store, I can say, this is specifically what got fixed because I think I owe, I, I owe it to my users to say, hey, there was a crash. You may not have even thought there was a crash, but you had a crash and didn't realize it. And now you can see, hey, if you did something like this, we looked into it. We fixed it. Admittedly, this was the 101 build that I just released today. And one of the fixes is removed extraneous pieces of UX, which means things that aren't quite finished yet, I hid. <laughs> Do you use uh, tools like a Velocity? Do you estimate your stories on a point level? Um, I picked something up from one of the companies I worked with to use story points based on the Fibonacci scale. One, two, three, five, eight, uh, 13... And then you basically approximate how much you feel that story will take time-wise and effort-wise. For me, a one, two, or three is somewhere in the vicinity of 10 minutes to an hour. A three, a five, and an eight are anywhere from an hour to six hours. Once I get to something that's going to be a day or two, that's when I'm in my eight, 13s. Usually if a story is going to be 13, then it is that giant warning sign. Maybe you need to break this into smaller chunks. Because the other goal is at any point, I should be able to say, you know what, I want to ship a version. And that's one of the things about Agile that I like is that, yes, you'll break off into a branch to work things. But by working your development in a branch, you can always say it's a shippable version. And the branch doesn't come in until the story is complete. Do you have any like local uh, continuous integration tools, build server kind of stuff? At this point, it's not complex enough that I've needed that. Um, I'm running my own unit tests and pretty much my unit tests have all been passing. And when I write a new section, I write a few new unit tests and I run it. Um, I have a few scripts in there for versioning but I haven't put it together yet. I've, I've done Jenkins so many times that I just, I don't want to. <laughs> just make the pain stop. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, I've tried using the Xcode continuous interact, the Xcode robots, and I'm just not happy because you just don't see enough information. So fortunately, this app by itself is not complicated enough that I've needed continuous integration. Xcode's also really done a good job of cleaning up um, certificates and the upload process to the App Store. 
Um, the one thing that I would actually need the most help with continuous integration on is updating stuff on App Store Connect, and that's stuff that isn't API-able. So what about the developer who was self-taught and never got to be in a team, or like some of these people that are aspiring to be developers? How could they better their process when... Like myself, I worked inside of a smaller team that we probably did agile-like things, but there was no formal process. So um, that's that's really, and, and it's hard too because I've been asked on interviews so many times, "Do you know agile?" And my first response is always, "Well, how do you define agile?" <laughs> and that response has, I think, helped me in a lot of interviews because agile is one of those things, like many other programming manifesto techniques that has certain practices that are common and certain practices that sort of get bent along the way by whichever team you're on. Um, scrums are handled differently, even though theoretically scrums are really handled one way. Um, Stand-up meetings. It's how your stories are put together. The, the thing is that the best thing you can do is you can read up on Agile and see how it works. But then again, what I did was I took what I knew from Agile and said, okay, what if I have to do all the jobs? Because when you're a lone developer, you're wearing all the hats anyway. You are your own marketing team. And let's be honest, most developers are not marketers. <laughs> Truth. That is true. I, I will say that one of the hardest things that I've had <laughs> since pushing the app out there is figuring out, well, who do I tell without seeming obnoxious? And I've even asked myself, do I want to go on Twitter and pay to have my tweet pushed out more? Now, that wonderful, that wonderful thing that as a developer, I'm like, why do people do this? It's obnoxious. And now I'm sitting here having to put on that hat and say, I'm going to have to do this. As the app developed, it was obvious that the organization helped. I've looked at the... Um, I'm, of course, using Bitbucket because, well, if I'm already at Lassian's poster child, I may as well go whole hog. Bitbucket stores my Git repository. I've looked at the punch card history, which is seeing how check-ins went. And I noticed that over time, the more I adopted Jira, the more the check-ins became more regular. It got to the point where I could even say, these are the nights that I don't typically code, and these are the hours that I don't typically code, and, oh, look, I do get sleep. You know, I, I have been working on this project pretty much consistently over the past six months from home, and working from home, I needed that discipline to tell me to get up, to have food, uh, to interact with my family, uh, to uh, stop programming and edit podcasts together. On occasion. So you didn't use the the flat food diet? We call the flat food <laughs> diet anything that can be slid under the door? Along with feature requests. Feature requests and food slide it under the door. <laughs> <laughs> That's not caveman programming. If I remember correctly, caveman programming is just putting prints in for debug. That's right. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> That's some of my caveman like debugging that. for the win. <laughs> I'm glad there's a name for that. But I have gone out of my way to find organizational pieces of software that make it easier to account for my time. I've got one that actually measures what app I'm using at what time on my system. So I can see, was I productive? Was I goofing around? Was I in a web browser? 
it's a really great piece of software. I'll put it into the show notes. It's a product from SetApp, which is sort of a mini app store for the Mac. And it's called the timing menu item. And the timing menu item will show me how much time I've been using on the system. And it'll let me then do a complete analysis of what I did. And I can set up projects. I can set up categories. And then I can basically say, okay, I was in this app. The thing is that it actually uses accessibility to monitor the windows. So it can see on Safari what the title bar is on a web page that you're looking at. You really, you have to trust this app if you're going to use it because it really does open it up. As a result, it can tell me that I was using these web pages, uh, and when I'm doing uh, editing, for example, I need to be able to tell it that if I'm on the Ray Wenderlich pages, I'm doing podcast work. If I'm looking at the documentation.apple pages, I'm doing development work. If I'm looking at some social network, I'm wasting time. And then it tells me at the end of the day how productive I was because I can set percentages of productivity based on that. That sounds really good. Um, I, I really like the app. It's it's a very complex, but it's um, – I, I, I like the app. I tend to ignore it from time to time, but that's specifically because, you know – I've got it pretty much tuned to how I like it. And it's rare to have that one app that you've actually tuned. That is true. I tend to let that lag. Um, do you have a preferred to-do list? You know, sometimes I will just simply use the reminders app on the on the Mac or the uh, on the iDevices, but that's just because the Apple cloud keeps it all together. Um, but I will often use Google Calendar to even set things like lunch reminders. Oh, nice. Yes, I like that. I use uh, Habitica for a to-do list, and that has helped me so much because I don't know about any other developers, but I struggle sometimes with procrastination or motivation. That's impossible. Especially with like boring tasks um, or just getting started. So that task is like a role-playing game, and you can have friends and be in a little party, and um, it's got missions you go on. <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of gone old school. I use uh, Google Calendar for my calendaring, calendaring, and then you know, bullet journal, notebook, very nice Ooh, pen. Um, nice. So, um, and get the nice tactile feeling of you know, writing things down. And then when I'm migrating a task, like if I migrated a task like for three days, it's like, why am I procrastinating on this? Or is this something that I really need to do? It seems that there's a lot that one can use for organizational tools for themselves and actually make progress on their own to work on their own projects in an organized manner. It's not a redundant, but it actually <laughs> sort of followed through. Also, I want to thank you, Mark, for being on the show tonight. It was a lot of really great information, not just about combined, but about combines <laughs> as well. Well, my wife did grow up on a farm, so I know stuff. <laughs> I, I love the four screens. That That's, that, that's got to be good. But Mark, thank you for being on the show yet again. It's always a pleasure to have you join us. Oh, I had so much fun just hanging out and chatting with you too. Yeah, nice to meet you. But that's going to wrap things up for this 10th episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. We'll be back again in two weeks after this show with Eric Hellman. Eric Hellman writes software mostly for Android. Um, he drinks more coffee than you do and can talk about it for hours. The coffee or the software? <laughs> Probably both. And he's a, a Google developer expert with a passion for teaching. That's going to be in your way 
wheelhouse on the next show. Yeah, sounds like uh, he'll have some in common with me and um, Shuki Chan. But that will wrap things up for this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. We thank again Triple Byte, that's Byte, B-Y-T-E, for sponsoring this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks. Until then, Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.